When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Hockey News on the A podcast presented by BetMGM. I'm Jacob Stoller from the Hockey News alongside Pat Williams from the AHL.com. We are at the Calder Cup Finals. End of the season one of this show. It feels like it's flown by. It's crazy to think that we're there, but there are two teams left. Coachella Valley Firebirds and Hershey Bears. Before we get to all that, Patrick, how are you? Good. How are you? Where did you we're yeah. into June. We're into it's June. A, it's been a long, long journey to get here. Big time. Big time. It's crazy. Like I it's gotta be one of the worst case scenarios for ice condition in Coachella Valley, no? Like that's gonna be quite the uh, this could be quite the obstacle we're seeing because there's the heat to begin with, but then like this is not it's not a fun time to go to Palm Springs, I would say, in terms of heat, if you're a pale like myself. Well, there's a reason that all the snowbirds go home. <laughs> yes. <laughs> they don't that stick is, around. That is very um, true. So that, yeah, that's one part of it, right? So um, this takes me back, I think I mentioned this before, it takes me back to 2018, the Marley's Texas series. Right. Down in Texas, I remember, and it was, it was about 38 to 40 Celsius, so like pushing 100, I think, Fahrenheit. The difference down there was like the humidity was insane, like huge thunderstorms every day. Um, you know, I remember them having to like, I remember standing outside, you know, like behind the arena, like any arena, right? Like, you know, that's kind of where all the guts of the building are. And they had the coolers going and those things like, I was surprised that they did shut down because they were going like full speed, right? Like trying to just keep any sense over time. Any semblance of even half quality ice. And like, I remember the ice actually ended up being decent, you know, at least all things considered, you know, from, you know, from what I saw and also from what the players told me. And just, um, this is going to be a different challenge, all right? Like, just in terms of like the heat, I think it's, um, I was looking at the forecast the other day. It's going to be over, I think, yeah, like I said, like 40, 40 Celsius, like 100 something Fahrenheit. Um, it, I, the difference there is like a dry heat, quote unquote. Well, it's weird because like um, it's not even a, it's not like it's one of those things where it's an advantage for Coachella Valley, and like this is how it always is. This is going to be quite the adjustment for everyone. I have to. Yeah, think. yeah. Like, this no is, one's used to playing in, in. No one's used to playing hockey like this. With this is a, being that bad. Yeah, it's the first year for this building too. So like we've not really ever seen it get tested quite like this. I mean, it was certainly warm. In the previous series, like it's not like just you know happened overnight, but you know like this is you know this is a, uh, an interesting challenge. I guess you know like it's kind of crazy when you think right now like hockey's being played in Palm Springs, Las Vegas, and now South Florida, right? <laughs> and plus Hershey. So weird. 
You know, like it's not. Uh, it's becoming actually, not weird anymore, though. To be honest, well, that's becoming, a thing, right? Yeah. yeah, it's really not. It's really not that strange anymore. I think our definition of traditional mar- of traditional markets is first of all a bit archaic, um, and second of all, like you know, some of the biggest booming markets, NHL, AHL, even ECHL, are in these yep. hot places. So it's becoming more commonplace, I guess. The biggest challenge will just be that sort of dry heat this time of year, but I don't, I, I haven't noticed it with Vegas, um, though obviously no. maybe a different situation there. But let's get to you know teeing up this uh, this matchup here between the Bears and the Firebirds. We talked a bit about Hershey last week because you know by then their series was decided. Coachella Valley um, getting over the hump versus Milwaukee. Any any thoughts on just how the the conference finals went for them? Uh, I was impressed by. I mean, we'll, we'll, we talked a ton about Milwaukee this year, right? So yeah, that was a really good team. That was a big, heavy, grinding team, but with a lot of skill up front. Yeah. Yep, totally. Um, and I thought that could give Coachella a real a real challenge, and it did at, at different times. But I was it was impressive how. Coachella seemed to really adapt to it, right? Mm-hmm. And like that's been one of the real, real themes, uh, really for both teams, but I think especially for Coachella um, throughout the postseason. This, this is not going to be their fifth opponent. Um, it's it's kind of remarkable to think, right? Like you know, in the playoffs, so you've seen kind of everything the AHL can throw at you in terms of different different styles of play, different. Uh, you know, coaching styles, different uh, goaltenders, you know, whatever, you know, however you want to slice it. And they've been able to adapt to all those different styles. And I think there's a little bit of a perception, certainly coming into the playoffs, that Coachella was fast, speedy, skill team, and they are. But you know, there was a thought that maybe they couldn't. They're heavy. Yeah, they couldn't maybe uh, stand up to that heavy style that you see in playoff hockey. But they've done so pretty well, and they've adapted, and they've been able to, um, if not overcome it, at least manage it, right? And uh, so Hershey's going to present the same challenge that Milwaukee did. Um, Probably a little bit less skill up front for Hershey, but uh, they're even heavier than Milwaukee. So I think in that sense, this will be a little bit more of the same. for the Firebirds, but uh, it's going to be a different challenge. Uh, you know, it's Hershey's, you know, being around them earlier this week, they're feeling pretty good about themselves, feeling pretty good about their game. They got past the tough Rochester team. Um, it's going to be a real clash of styles, I think, in this series. In terms of, you know, the, the differences stylistically, is Coachella just – sort of a better version of every opponent that they face that sorry is like is Coachella Valley just a better version of every team Hershey's played basically yeah so if you look at if you go go through Hershey's playoff so far right like Charlotte fast super fast speedy transition oriented team right Hartford was the heavy team, right? Hartford was kind of a, a mirror image of the Bears. Bears, the difference being that the Bears could do it better than Hartford could. Rochester then took what Charlotte had and amped it up. Um, yeah. Then some. Um, 
excellent off the rush. Like I haven't seen a team in a while that was able to like turn something from nothing quite the way Rochester did. Like it would just be kind of like a seemingly innocuous, you know, play in the neutral zone and just, and then boom, like Rochester was off, right? Like they did not, uh, they did not skip a beat. Now you're getting Coachella, which is even better version of that. So that's, I think where it, it gets real dicey for the bears. Like Coachella can bury you before you know what hit you. Um, and, and the bears, I think that first period, maybe the first 10 minutes of that first period, uh, in game one, they're going to get a real, a real onslaught uh, of that attack. They haven't seen it other than video. Um, it, it's we've seen that it's taken teams some time to adjust to it. Uh, and if if you don't adjust quickly, Coachella, before you know what hits you, uh, kind of leaving you in their dust. It's going to be an interesting series because, I you know I think that both teams you know with with Hershey Hunter Shepard he's on 929 save percentage you look at uh Coachella Joey Decord somewhere in the 920s as well this playoffs there's good goaltenders but this isn't like a a goaltending type series that makes any sense I think this is gonna be one of those series is where I don't know if if either goalie will be stealing games and it's it's really a clash of two teams that are top to bottom pretty pretty stacked in every area yeah I think you'll see goals that's for sure. Yeah. Just be a matter of like who can kind of like limit the damage the most. Um, these I are agree. two teams that are certainly going to um, push hard, like in terms of uh, like Coachella loves to push the pace. Um, you know, they'll let you, I mean, they'll do it as much as you let them, right? Like um, Hershey's, her, where Hershey was impressive was you could tell early on against Rochester, like they were kind of taken aback by the speed. Like they, that first game especially, but even into the second and third, they were kind of like, whoa, what, what is this, right? Like, we have not seen this before. Yeah. Um, so that was that was the real tough part for them there. Um, I was impressed by how, like, they didn't, they didn't overcome it right away. Like, it, it kind of happened in steps. Like, bit by bit, Todd Nelson, the head coach there, made, you know, one adjustment here, one adjustment there. And it took some time, but by, you know, game five, game six, especially game six, I mean, that was a masterpiece, one nothing shut up. You could tell that they had got it down. And I was mm. talking with Nelson the other day, and he was saying, so one of the things is, and this is really kind of a unique aspect of the, of the playoffs, is so you have the best of three in the playing round. You have best of five for the first two rounds. This past round was the first time it was best of seven. So when you're making those adjustments, like in a best of five, you may have to maybe go two or three steps deep into right. your adjustments. Now you're kind of getting maybe like five, six, seven, eight steps into those adjustments because now you're the further you go into the series, like you're just digging deeper into your bag of tricks and seeing what you can, what you have. Like it's a chess match. And mm-hmm. he went up against Seth Appert, you know, friend of the show, super smart coach, um, and, and, you know, Nelson really did have to like dig, you know, pretty deep to find, you know, an adjustment for the adjustment for the adjustment for the adjustment. Right. And so, um, I was impressed by how the bears finally got that. And so, so long story short, Nelson was saying that he couldn't have done this in December, right? Like mm-hmm. he didn't have the trust 
of the players. And I don't, and he, I don't think he trusted them yet to be able to make those counter adjustments by this point now, like they've seen that what he's selling them works and he sees from them that they actually could go out and execute something, not like their basic system, but you know, like their system combined with many, many, many adjustments. And so, um, yeah, that was an interesting, uh, little bit of insight from him that, you know, like a little, pretty honest piece too like that you know he felt now that he could take some of those chances making those adjustments and, and feel confident that his players are actually going to be able to go out there know what they're doing and carry it out and uh that's not something that's built overnight right and that's the thing about this league it's it's it tends to be a one-year league right like you have your team for this year yeah and then next year everything starts over whereas in the nhl there's a lot of carryover one year to the next to the next and so um, that's when you can get that in place, that's where it's huge, I think, for a team like Hershey. Hershey's always been, I, I find personally, Hershey's always found a way to be in the spotlight. Like they've always been connected to the Capitals. And now that they're in the Caller Cup finals and the Caps are in a retool phase, obviously attention is going to be on Caps prospects, notably, you know, Carmack, Michael, Henderson, Lapierre. I'm curious what you've thought about their respective playoffs this far into it. Um, I thought, I th- thought they got better, right? Like, um, two recent first round picks. Yeah. Note. First round picks in the lineup, right? Like, you know, um, I talked to McMichael the other day too. Like, I think he's starting to fight himself more. Um, it's a little, it's a little bit more of a challenge, right? Like, um, just in terms of, um, Put it this way, neither of them have been able to, in this playoffs, really establish themselves as key contributors, maybe not by fault of their own, but the fact of, as we've touched on, Hershey's style of play, their personnel, yeah. there really isn't there really isn't a way for them to shine um without, you know, someone else struggling, if that makes any sense. You know, like there's gotta be sure. kind of a domino falling down for them to get more opportunity, and they haven't necessarily had that grade eight chances if you will yeah yeah you know they've they've been solid but i i think especially in the case of michael i probably was hoping to see a little bit more of him being able to take things over at different points yeah um but maybe that's just not what he is maybe he's just not it's, it's a very player. fair point i've actually wondered that right? too it's like there comes a point it's kind of like the guy i think about is like this is this might sound like i'm going off the rails here but i promise you there, there's a sentiment like alex turkett Right, he or Turcotte, sorry. Can I say it right the first time or the second time? Uh Turcotte, yeah. Turcotte, okay. Second time's a term. He top five pick, right? Let let's call a spade a spade. You know, I think in terms of a fifth overall pick, Alex Turcotte's a bust. If things are like this way. Because for a fifth overall pick, you're expecting a star player. Now, the problem is that sometimes puts blinders on people in projecting, okay, but what's Alex Turcotte the next level? Because he could still be a good top nine player or a useful one. I kind of think with McMichael, there's been a similar sort of thing where I still think he'll be a top nine player and a good one, but maybe he'll be more of a complimentary guy or he probably will be, right? As opposed to a sort of driving center. I, I see him more as a winger at the next level. And frankly, he's got like he's got a nose to the net, was one of the best in the age, I can tell you, around the inner slot from you know, instat data seeing, but I just wonder if, if, you know, a, a middle six 
kind of forward is more so where he's geared towards after seeing him throughout the latter part of the season. It's probably fair to say, yeah. Um, I think that we always have to remain flexible with our expectations. Like, totally. we get so fixated on, like, okay, this player and, yeah. is, was picked at this spot, therefore he needs to, you know, we always hear about comparables, right? Like, well, he needs to end up being this guy or that guy, right? And, mm-hmm. and you know, the, the fact of the matter is maybe, he was, you know, certain players would take it too high or too low, right? You know, mm-hmm. and, that's nothing on them, right? Like they are, they're, they're going to be what they're going to be. And if you pick them too high or too low, like that's just a reflection of, of the draft and, and the uncertain nature of that. So like, I think if you just looked at McMichael for what he is, I think you'd be pretty happy. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's only when you start to then put it through the lens of, Oh, well, he's a 25th overall pick and he should be in the NHL by now. And he should be doing this and he should be doing that. And I don't think that's always fair to the player. Right. Same thing with Turcotte. Maybe Turcotte should not just shouldn't have been a fifth overall pick. Totally. Right? You know, oh, I like, agree. and obviously that with Turcotte, there's other factors there. There's a lot of the injuries and all that injuries. Right? Like, yeah, totally. You know, Probably should have stayed. Yeah. So that time. kind of, and you know, both players, you have the pandemic year. Uh, I, I still think that's a huge factor for a lot of those players. Uh, that was just such a disruptive time. They, you know, you didn't play game for 11 months. And even when you came in, then you came into that AHL, that 2021 season where it was just sort of all over the place, right? Like, and it was just not certainly what, you know, you would want for an ideal developmental situation. Some players are able to overcome it, but, you know, we're, we're not, we're, everybody's not playing with the same, you know, hand of cards either, right? Like, you know, and I think for McMichael's case, like, yeah, he stuck in Washington last year, uh, but I don't think that served him well. You need to be playing a lot more. Yeah. Um, and then he comes into Washington this year. That's a team that, you know, obviously with, you know, a lot of aging roster, aging veterans, they're there to win. And mm-hmm. uh, he didn't get in the lineup. They sent him down in November. He's been in Hershey ever since. Uh, I think to his credit, he's made, he's made something of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I think if you just view him as like, okay, maybe this is what he's going to be, then I think you can be happy with it. It's just, again, when you put it through that lens, that's when you get that distortion of, uh, well, you should be this or you should be that. Absolutely. So let's look at the series as a whole here quickly. Who's the favorite? I'd have to think Coachella. I mean, the fact that you can knock off Calgary, you can knock off Dustin Wolf, um, you can score on Dustin Wolf. Um, you've they've been progressively getting stronger roster wise. You know, let's look who they've added. Uh, they've got Ty Carty back. Andrew Podorowski came back from what was supposed to be a season-ending injury. Uh, Jesper Froden came back, right? Like, uh, they got John Hayden last week. You know, got another guy that was supposed to be out for the season. You know, like, so. Yeah, what are they What are they injecting in them at in Seattle? Because they're just coming out of the woodwork with their injuries. Well, I think part of it, too, is just what you, if you play long enough, right? Like, yeah, exactly. Like, guys you know, that like, were never part of it are you know, suddenly I mean, healthy. You know, and then, I, I, yeah, sure. I think there's probably an incentive to come back, you know, as soon as possible and push it a little bit. Uh, you know, you have a chance to play in the finals or, you know, deep, even in the conference finals. So, um, yeah. Uh, so there, I would go Coachella just in terms of my favorite. Uh, but, you know, I think it's going to be a pretty tight series one way or the other. Yeah, I see this one going to six or seven games for sure. Um, it's going to be a battle back and forth. I'm interested to see 
we talk a lot about the kid gloves and how starting the Calder Cup playoffs, like when it starts, you were talking about how a lot of coaches you're speaking to are like, you know what? It starts, you know, the, the hand holding stops here. We're trying to win. You still see that, obviously, and have seen it from the beginning. But now I really wonder, especially in the case of Hershey, like two of the guys we mentioned there, if you start to see that really shine through. Like the best players are playing, period, and we're going to win it. And you'll see that. And some prospects may not get the ice time. Like Shane Wright wouldn't be surprised if he isn't a factor, let alone maybe doesn't play a couple games just because of where he's at and, and how how strong the personnel is around him. So I think there's a lot of factors there. I'm going to call Coachella in seven. What do you what do you think? I think that's a fair pick. Uh, for triple, me, overtime. Awesome. triple overtime. Triple overtime. Well, I'm triple overtime. Um, <laughs> Max McCormick, triple overtime. I'll go. I'll go you, Coachella in six. What's the score? Score in the, in the final. Uh, finals game six. Uh, I don't know. Uh, probably a typical true Coachella 6 4 game with an empty netter at the end. I yep. pray that either of those pr- wacky predictions we just made have any sort of relevance <laughs> because otherwise that was just nonsense. Um, let's move over to news and, and notes from around the league. Greg Cronin hired as Anaheim's coach. I don't know if maybe Anaheim was watched our video of future NHL coaches and thought these guys are, are idiots. They don't even have Greg Cronin. We're going to show them. But yeah, we did not mention Greg Cronin as um a guy ready to make the jump you though my friend have been very high on him all year and for a couple years now so i should make that clear but greg cronin it's an interesting choice um no surprise really i think for a team like anaheim trying to turn the corner still building but they're not you know at the studs they have some core pieces they're trying to take the next step forward definitely good news for someone like trevor zegras i think maybe in the long run as in terms of rounding out his game and and helping him be the star that many think he can be, but hasn't necessarily been yet. I think Cronin's a good guy for that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you look at Cronin's background, right? Like, um, he founded, uh, helped to be a, he was a founder of the U.S. National Development Program, which is just a absolute, absolute like, powerhouse in terms of churning out those types of players like Azikris, right? Like, um, you know, Troy Terry, you know, Mason McTavish, like, you know, elite talents that are coming through. Anaheim's got a ton of them. Uh, Did you just say gold medal overtime winner Mason McTavish from Canada came from the U.S.? I Sorry, no, 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 oh, no. Oh, the Ducks. I mean, then in terms of the oh, Ducks okay, okay. Because Terry played at the program, so yes. excuse me for thinking you're going down that lane. Yeah, no, Sorry, no, no, continue. But just in terms of like you know, I know the Ducks were a mess this year, but like if you look at who they have coming in or yeah. already in and coming, um, it's a deep pipeline, right? Like. Totally. done a really nice job, Pat Verbeek, you know, and just everything, getting everything. I think when it actually does come to fruition, it's going to, going to be a really, really exciting young team. It's just it's going to take time. I, but I like the idea of Corona working with him. Like, I don't think Ch- Trevor Zegers needs a coach who's going to sit there and pat him on the back and tell him, like, hey, you're great. Like, dangle totally. away. Like, he needs somebody that's going to totally. really help him to become a, a dominant two-way player. Right, like you know, not just kind of a one-dimensional. Yeah, I mean, we all know Zegers has skill, you know, beyond belief. Like nobody questions that. The question is, can he be good enough to elevate his team and take sure. them to those clutch moments? And I think you're right. Cronin's great for that. I think we should bring it up. We talked about this. Gosh, was this in February or March? I don't know. But Alex Kolchaniak, that whole Cronin thing. Let's revisit that. 
yep. with what what and this is a testament to Greg Cronin on so many fronts, but especially the fact of Alex Olchaniak had many, many, many chances to quote unquote figure it out. Mm-hmm. Has he to this day yet? I don't know. This really needs to be seen. Probably not. But he earned himself another a, another look in the NHL. And the way he went about it is a big credit to Cronin. Pat, tell us a bit about that. For sure. I mean, you think of like Sukhachenyuk, a third overall pick, played 10 years in NHL, when it, you know, he was in the NHL at age 18, found himself having to basically go to the Avalanche on a trial deal, ended up with the Colorado Eagles on a PTO, converted that into a contract opportunity um, with the big team two-way and spent most of the season with, with the Eagles, right? Like, and, and the mandate for both Galchenyuk and Cronin was strip down Galchenyuk's defensive game almost down to the foundation and, and build it back properly. It's, he played almost 10 years in the NHL without really any sort of real semblance of defensive uh, acumen uh, to speak of. But now you're 28, 29, maybe the goal scoring touch isn't going to quite be there for much longer. You have to find a way to make yourself useful and relevant, right? Like as you go into that next stage of your career. So like, the two of them worked, you know, and full credit to Galchenia for really buying in, but they worked kind of nonstop throughout the season, just really going through yeah. that whole, you know, it's a, a ton of work, right? Like you're trying to reprogram a player who's done things one way for 10 years in the NHL. And now like, you're just, you're changing everything about his game in that, in that, you know, in that phase. So that's what Cronin's good at. Like I, I I've never spoken to a coach who can break down a player's game to the level of, detail and degree that Greg Cronin can. I mean, his, his eye for things like, you're like, how did you even see that? Right. Like even compared to like other coaches, right. Like, you know, and just the level of detail, like he's just an extremely detailed person in, in general. He's the type of coach where yes, my question, he's not quite sure. Maybe like exactly what the question is. He'll ask you once, maybe even twice to just like clarify it a little further. Like, a lot of yeah. coaches will just sort of throw out any answer, just get it over with. Like he's actually trying to give you a correct, thoughtful answer to your question, right? Like, you know, so he, that's the kind of mind he has. I find nowadays players players want information. Yeah, yeah. we live in an era where you know there's the TikToks and the apps that are like a shorter version of like YouTube. Like everything is instant and quick. Sure. I think the key now though is. You know, there's guys like Adam Oates that have a whole business on skill development. Players, when they go on the For You page of social media, I'm sure their algorithms um, have them watching hockey tricks. Like, players that love the game are intrigued by it. The key is being able to articulate to them and in a way where it's like, hey, here is a better way to do it. And do that in articulating, like, I care about your career and I'm not just crapping on you. Because I think that that's really where you get through to players. And if you're able to... to relay information in a very constructive and clear manner guys will want to go to bat for you like if you like sure. if you tell a player like i show a player something that tangibly helps them like it, it really gains guys respect and for anaheim with where they're at as we just mentioned it's a big it's a big ask that they have they have a lot of guys going through their formative years learning how to be everyday nhl players there's going to be some pain there um next year and maybe the year after. So I think from a long-term perspective, Cronin could really help the development of this core um, at the very least, you know, whether they 
are a successful playoff team or whatever, that in that next phase, but for the next couple of years, could be a really good fit for them, I think. Um, moving on to the all-prospect team, the first ever AHL all-prospect team that was just announced, made by a committee of, the league said the AHL general managers and uh, executives came together to make this list. Three forwards, two defensemen, and a goalie that took home the honors. Let's go through each one, kind of rapid fire quickly before we end today's show, talk about their seasons, how they're on the list and whatnot, and just, yeah, kind of go from there. So let's start in net. Jesper Wallstedt. He gets the nod over um, Yaroslav Askarov, notably. I, I don't know. I, I'm going to assume Wolf doesn't count, though, I mean, he should, because like I think Dustin Wolf was by far the best goalie prospect, but maybe let's just pretend that he's not eligible. I don't know. I, I would have thought it had been him. Um, why do you think Wallstedt was named the goalie over maybe Askarov or another goaltender? Uh, that's a good question. I'm not. I should sure. know. Pat found out about this list three minutes ago, while we're, <laughs> while we're recording this. So I should give him a bit of slack. Yeah, literally um, minutes before this, we saw the list. So I just probably sewered you, but yeah, maybe yeah. try to explain it. I mean, while step was interesting because like he came in and like he admitted he had a real tough adjustment the first couple months of the year. And, uh, Iowa's game was kind of all over the place. A good chunk of the season, quite honestly, and and he was a part of that. Uh, he really found his game though around December-ish. Um, got the, you know, got Iowa like you know into kind of a respectable playoff push. Um, big, really smart, very detailed, um, really eager to learn. Like like, really impressive the level of mental maturity that he has at you know such a young age. Um, so I, I think it's a solid pick. I would definitely agree with that. I'm trying to, I'm wondering what the criteria is. Like maybe it's under, no, okay. Maybe they just didn't pick Wolf for whatever reason. I'm going to stop trying to, uh, figure it out on the spot. Okay. So Simon Damage, David Yerchek, no surprise. I think uh, on that front, I think that's even who we had when we made a similar list. Um, mm-hmm. just in short, Guys, uh, both players in their draft year plus one season. Nemich went second overall to New Jersey. Yerchek went uh, seventh to Columbus. Really strong seasons on both fronts. I mean, we've t- we've touched on it in so many angles. I I think we both believe Yerchek will be in the NHL next year. Um, Nemich, the jury's still out. Probably will be back in the A. I would say, fair to say. Fair to say, uh, yeah. yeah. Um, and that goes for Wallstead too, who I think needs some more seasoning. But really impressive seasons from Nemich and Yerchek. You know, it's it's always a recurring theme, but just getting those guys in your draft year plus one season, another one who we'll get to in a second year, Kulik, is another example of that. Uh, it's very impressive nonetheless. Lucas Reichel, um, this is an interesting one. So Reichel had a great season by all accounts, uh, but but a disappointing playoff. Uh, mm-hmm. he, goes, he had one goal in five playoff games, but he was uh, a bit invisible in that series, to be honest with you. 51 points in 55 AHL games, 15 points in 23 NHL games. Uh, I said it before, I'll say it again. I, I still think Chicago made a mistake with regards to, I think they brought him up too early. Yeah, the offense is there and those numbers are great, but I think what you saw in the playoffs was the worry with doing that and that is rewarding him too early. I remember reading in November and December, they were kind of preaching about how they want him when he, to come up to be kind of ready. And I think they kind of, I think they put their foot in their mouth a bit, maybe because they traded so many people and there was a roster spot i don't know but i think he could have benefited from maybe a longer bit of runway i still think he should have got NHL games this year but 
it kind of disrupted his flow, I think, um, and contributed to what was a very poor playoff, in my opinion. Yeah, I would agree. Um, I I was hoping for a, a lot more than I saw in the playoffs. Like, you think you're in the NHL, you're coming back, right? Like, more like a, what you saw from the guys in Milwaukee, right? Like, you know, like the Evangelista came back. And you could see him apply everything he learned in the NHL in that, that month plus. Totally. And bring it back and, and, and be a better version of, of than when he left the, the AHL back in February. And, yeah, I didn't see that from Reichel. Um, it was obviously it was a very short-lived playoff anyway. But um, it was, yeah, uh, for me, I, I needed to see a lot more than I saw from him. Yuri uh, Kulik. We mention his name every week this time yeah. of year. Incredible playoff he had. 11 points in 12 games. 46 points in 62 games. He dropped the 20th overall. This is crazy, actually. So I am planning on pursuing a story on this. Maybe I shouldn't say this, but it's so interesting I have to. I was watching, uh, what's it called? Like the behind-the-scenes Buffalo Sabres. Is it becoming a Sabre? Or I'm, maybe I'm confusing with another one. But like the behind-the-scenes um, like draft, free agency, whatever. Mm-hmm. This is crazy. They were deciding between Kulik and Noah Osland at 16. And when they had the, the later pick, um, after that, from from what this production tells us, and from Kevin Adams' own mouth, they tried to trade up with six teams, and they couldn't get a deal done, so they were kind of sweating. And then when they got 28 and Kulik was still there, they were pumped. Like I'm talking amped, and you should you should all watch it. It's really cool to, to see how much it, it dominated the just the whole plan there, and you can see why. Like I, I don't know what they had Kulik rate on their board or anything. I'm assuming close to Austin if they're debating between the two. It's becoming it's becoming one of those things now where I think that you can't overlook um, the European versus CHL kind of debate with regards to production in their draft here. And I think that just you're going to see a lot of... I think you'll see European guys go higher in general in those late... A lot a lot more maybe in the teens and tweens than before when it be a lot more CHL, I think at least, than going forward. Yeah, I... Well, we've we've had that discussion how many times, right? Where I know. The best players them. will go, but when you're deciding between the two guys, I think sure. you're going to start seeing the edge go to them. That's what I think for sure. The sooner you can get your players into your system, playing for your coaches, playing your system, totally. learning your your entire operation inside and out, the better, right? And like you think, like if if Kulik was North American, he would have been maybe off somewhere in college or junior yeah you know like the priority there is not always what's best for the nhl team right like they have their own agendas obviously Uh, it doesn't include you right so (laughs) yeah um so that's the beauty right like of a coolie or the year check or the nemets right like you know they were all able to step right in at age 18 and, and and take on this challenge and obviously there were ups and downs but i think in the end every single one of those players is better for having gone through that Rather than staying back in the, you know, staying back in junior, for example, sure, yeah, you put up 100 points and it looks great, but how much did you learn, right? Sure. That's the whole idea of development is you're, you're supposed to learn something, right? Like not just go there and put up, you know, great numbers and, you know, dangle everyone and all that stuff. Like, no, it's supposed to be, you're supposed to learn the hard parts of the game. More importantly, you're supposed to not acquire bad habits. You know, we've talked about this before as well, like, how many times do you hear an HL coach say, I have to coach the junior out, out of a player? Like all those bad habits that they picked up 18, 19, 20 years old. 
and then you're almost then spending after, a year doing that, right? Like it becomes a whole year, and then yeah, you're cleaning up the player's game just to sort of get back to square one, and then you can start, you know, getting them ready for the NHL side of things. So uh, I think it's a really smart way to go, and you can see why Buffalo was so excited with a player like Kulik to get him there because I think you know to their credit, and then the other thing too is they were patient, like they didn't fall for that temptation where like, Oh, okay. He had a good weekend. Let's bring him up. Yeah. Right. Like they didn't put him out on that elevator up and down. Right. It was just like, you're staying in Rochester, settle in, get acquainted with this team. This is going to be your team this year. And, and they stuck to it. Right. And it's not always easy to do that. Like you have a great plan going into the season and then, you know, circumstances change and um, it's not always feasible, but you know, to the Sabres credit. And they've done this with, with, Really, with Jack Quinn as well, they did it with Paterka last year. Um, they've really managed those elite young prospects super well, and I think you're starting to really see a good payoff. And uh, you know, you have Kulik, you have Rosine coming up. I mean, like, yeah, Savoy. Like, it's Buffalo is building something special. Like, I'm really impressed, and a lot of that has to do with what they what they built in Rochester, just the patience and the and the real attention to detail. Uh, that you know you get with Seth Appert and that coaching staff, and um, I think you're starting to see a real payoff for that for that rebuild that's been going on in Buffalo for quite a while now. Last but not least, Tyson Forrester, really bizarre development path for him. First mm-hmm. round pick in 2020, he played the full year of the 2020-21 COVID shortened pandemic year with Lehigh Valley, and then the next year he went back to junior um, for it, and then he was with Lehigh Valley at the end of the year. It was kind of a weird split <laughs> season. Then he comes back to this season, the AHL, his first full season of what we'll call the the regular AHL. 48 points in 66 games, gets a call up the Flyers, seven points in eight games, and overall a very big step forward for one of the, the, the let's, call, let's face it, few promising prospects in Philly's system right now. Yeah, so he had that, like, really – yeah, I've said that weird pandemic year. Then last year he had that shoulder injury that kept him out for a good chunk of the season. Um, so last year was kind of a lost season for him, right? Mm-hmm. So like, so he's really coming into this year kind of had two weird seasons, right? Like he was trying to play in the AHO at age 18 in the pandemic year. Then the last year obviously was the injury year. So now you're coming in at 20. Like you haven't had a normal year since you were 17, right? Like, and totally. so – and then you're coming into Lehigh, and obviously that, that entire operation in Philly, especially this past season, was complete disarray. I mean, Lehigh was players coming and going. I mean, it was like it was like a bus station between Lehigh Valley and, and Philadelphia. Just constant call-ups. Uh, you know, the team, the, the Phantoms were kind of a – they were a 500-ish borderline team in a lot of ways, um, you know, kind of – they squeaked into the playoffs. They didn't do much, obviously, in the playoffs. Um, but I think, for to his credit, he did make it, you know, pretty productive year. Um, it's going to be interesting, though, just with like obviously there's new regime coming in with management wise in Philly. Kind of where mm-hmm. is he going to fit in? What's their? We don't quite know what their approach is going to be yet with prospects. Are they going to take a patient approach? Are they going to start to push guys up? Um, I don't know. That I think will be what really determines uh, his path. So I'm not quite as certain on him, you know, just because there's a lot of external factors that are beyond him and how they're going to, going to manage his development. Yeah. Um, but uh, 
you know, he's an interesting choice uh, for this for this team, I think. For sure. Well, I think that's it for today's show. We'll be back next week where we'll recap the first three games of the Calder Cup Finals and tee you up for Game 4. But, uh, yeah, until then, I think we'll, we'll leave it there for this week. Thanks again for listening to another episode of the Hockey News on the A podcast presented by BetMGM. I'm Jacob. That was Patrick, and we'll see you next week.